right. We're going to read some scripture. This is from Acts chapter 20. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul giving his farewell address to the Ephesian church leadership. And we're just going to read a little snippet of it this morning. And uh, then we'll get into the, the whole text in just a little bit. But this is Paul to the Ephesian leaders. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Let's uh, let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Lord, thank you for that love that lifted us. As we've just celebrated Valentine's Day and um, expressions of, of human love, Lord, the greatest depths of love that have ever has ever been expressed has been the love of God, which is uh, an unconditional love. And Paul prayed to the for the Ephesian believers that they would understand the height, the breadth, and the depth of God's love. Lord, if nothing else this morning, help us to grasp and understand how much you love us. And if there's any question about that love, Lord, we simply need to look at the cross and realize how much you loved us because you sent your one and only son to die and to, to take our place and to be our sin bearer. And thank you for doing that. Lord, we pray for our nation today, our leaders today, President Biden, uh, Vice President Harris, uh, Governor Whitmer, um, our senators, our congressmen, our, our local leadership, Lord, I, I, I pray for them. I pray that they would seek your wisdom. Lord, as we're in an election year, Lord, help us, help us to keep our eyes focused on uh, uh, the King of Kings and realize that our, our citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. But help us to um, be salt and light while we're here. Lord, we pray for our missionary family this morning that we have the privilege of partnering with. Lord, is there... Uh, spread around the world today. Lord, may you bless them. May you encourage them. I uh, thank you for the privilege of partnership with them. Now, uh, open up our eyes to your words this morning through uh, the scriptures that we'll look at, and we pray that we would leave here blessed and encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been looking at the book of Acts, and um, we're looking at Paul's missionary journeys. And we're in missionary journey number three, and it's coming to a, a conclusion. And so that's uh, where we were last week. We were looking at the, the city of Ephesus. And you remember that the gospel made such an impact in Ephesus. They were worshiping the goddess Artemis, Diana, uh, the fertility goddess, that um, they ended up having a, a commotion, literally a, a riot, because of the uh, impact of the gospel that affected the, the pocketbook of the, the silversmiths there. And... Uh, there um, was a great commotion in the city of Ephesus, and then um, Paul then was kept safe, and he's he's moving on, and we're going to look at that this morning. Our um, geographical context is in the insert in your bulletin. If you want to take out that map, um, you'll be able to follow along a little bit where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, the red highlight is the city of Troas. Uh, that's where we're going to be in verses 7 through 12 of Acts chapter 20. And then most of the chapter takes place in a town called Miletus. And uh, that's circled or highlighted in the blue there. It's really modern-day Turkey. And um, so that's where we're going to uh, focus our time this morning on those two cities. But before we get there, we're going to take just a brief little uh, video trip 
And uh, this is a little different from the ones that we've been showing, uh, but this is a fellow by the name of Dr. Andrew Allerton. It's two and a half minutes long, and I think we have that ready to go, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 2. Well, we're in Miletus today in modern Turkey. Behind me, you can see the impressive amphitheater, the ruins of a Roman entertainment center, 15,000-seater. And this place features in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul came here. He had been in Ephesus. He'd planted a church there. He'd then gone on various other travels. And he wanted to see his friends from the church in Ephesus, that he would later write the letter of Ephesians to these people. So they traveled 150 kilometers to see their friend Paul, and they met here on the steps of the harbor in Miletus. And Paul, in Acts 20, gives a very moving farewell speech. It's the last speech he gives in Acts as a free man. He's now heading towards his death. And so these are his famous last words, if you like, where he reminds them, firstly, that his life is all about Jesus. He says, I count my life worth nothing except that I might serve Jesus Christ. That's how we're called to live as well. And at the end of it, he says this. He says, remember the weak and the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul calls us to a Jesus-centered, generous living kind of life. He said that to the disciples as they met here in Miletus. And that's the challenge for us today as well. Not to live for ourselves, but for Jesus and to help the weak and the needy in our society. And then they knelt down and prayed together. And you know, Paul, sometimes, I don't know what you think about the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we imagine him as this cold-hearted, stern figure. No, no, no. He was a man of love and compassion. He knelt and he wept with his friends here in Miletus before they took him to the ship and he sailed to Jerusalem. You know, the message of the love of Jesus and the generous living of Christians has transformed the world in the ancient world. And that's what we're called to today. We're in Miletus in modern-day Turkey. Well, that at least gives you a little visual of uh, what Miletus looks like. So, interesting title to our sermon this morning is called Sleeping in Church. I was going to ask for some testimonies of benefits of sleeping in church, if anybody wanted to give one. I really don't mind sleeping in church. Uh, people are either going to leave spiritually encouraged or they're going to wake up physically refreshed. And so, either one, we will take either one. So, if you need a nap, I really don't. I'm not offended by that. But we're going to look at our outline, and then we're going to look at some life lessons. So uh, let's jump into this. Uh, Paul's ministry in Macedonia. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, that was last Sunday, where they uh, rushed to that amphitheater, and they were chanting for two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians, or Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, when that finally calmed down, it says, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristocrus and Syndicus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed for seven days. 
So that's a lot of geography, and that's a lot of names. So let me let me explain it. Uh, verses one through six, <coughs> excuse me, take about a year in time, and you can trace uh, the geography on that map as as Paul uh, laid it out there in the first six verses. So that, this is about a year's time that goes by in verses one through six. And so Paul has to change his plans because uh, there's always people that are out to get him. And he has a target on his back. And just about everywhere he goes, the Jews are wanting to do away with Paul. And so he he changed his plans because the Jews were out to get him. And uh, finally, he ends up at a place called Troas. Now, there's a list of names here in verse 4. I believe there's seven of them. And so why are those names there? Well, these are Paul's traveling companions. And you kind of have to read between the lines and compare Scripture with Scripture. Um, it's not explicitly stated in the text, but I'll tell you what's going on here. There was a famine in Judea, in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul, as he goes around Macedonia, and you know what he's doing? He's collecting an offering from the churches there, to take 500 miles away to the church of Jerusalem. These are people that these new believers have never met before. But uh, talking about sharing love and showing love, they are take collecting an offering. And so one of the things that Paul does when he gets to Jerusalem is he gives this offering from the churches at Galatia to the, the believers at Jerusalem. Uh, we can read about it, or you can read about it in uh, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul specifically talks about this. So what are these names? Uh, and these names are interesting, um, interesting names. Uh, one of them in verse 4, Secundus from Thessalonica was probably a slave or former slave. Uh, Secundus really means second. Uh, did you know that slaves did not name their children? They gave them numbers. <laughs> so you are one, two, three, four, five, six, or however many. And so here's a, here's a slave or a former slave. And uh, Paul is bringing these men together, and they are probably personally delivering this love offering to the church in Jerusalem and to the believers there. And what a great expression of, of love. And how much more meaningful it is to, to give a gift in person. I was thinking back to our Acts 1-8 project when God allowed us to channel lots of funds into missions that one Sunday. It was $30,000. Some of those checks are in our little missions corner. Here's a reminder of what God did through you. But if you were here that Sunday, we brought five or six different people from different mission agencies, and we were able to personally deliver a check and money to them and how meaningful that is and how that unites hearts together. So that's what's going on here. And uh, Paul takes all these guys back to Jerusalem. And uh, there's, there's seven of them he's traveling with. He picks up Luke along the way. And if you read carefully through the book of Acts, you notice that Luke sometimes is with Paul and sometimes he isn't. Luke wrote the book of Acts. But you'll notice in um, verse 5, those men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. So Luke's in the picture here. But we sailed so Dr. Luke joins uh, Paul, so there's at least nine of them now that are, that are traveling uh, on their way back to Jerusalem. Well, let's jump to Troas, and uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, looking at Troas, and then most of our time looking at um, the time together in Miletus. 
and we're going to discover Paul's midnight sermon. Paul's midnight sermon. We'll pick it up in verse 7. Interesting story that Dr. Luke includes here in, uh, in the scriptures. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, that's significant, the first day of the week. This is, this is the first time in the book of Acts that it refers to Christians meeting on Sunday. Uh, remember, Acts is a transitional book, and because Jesus rose on, on Sunday, on the first day of the week, the New Testament church began to meet on the first day of the week, and we continue that today. Today is Sunday, I believe, and we're here. Uh, and, and so this is the first reference to that. So here they are in Troas, and it says they come together to break bread, um, probably referring to observing the Lord's table. So Paul's meeting with the believers in Troas on a Sunday. They either have a meal or they're observing the Lord's table, and then Paul begins to teach and preach. And he knows that he's not going to see these people probably ever again, and so Paul begins to preach, and he preaches for a long, long time. Let's look at it. And because Paul had intended to leave the next day, he kept talking till midnight. <laughs> That's a long sermon. I don't know what time he started. But uh, here's this group of people, the church, and we find out later they're on a third-story building, and Paul's preaching till midnight. Now, Luke gives us some detail here because he, he was there. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. And so you got to get this picture here. Paul's preaching till midnight. They're in the third story um, of a building, and they got lamps going so they can see what do lamps do? What does fire do? It begins to suck oxygen, doesn't it? And so it's probably hot. It's probably a little stuffy in that room. And Paul is preaching on and on, and it's getting late. And so here's the story. Seated in a window was a young man by the name of Eutychus. Now the phrase there, young man, the commentators say probably this was really a young boy. Uh, probably 8 to 14 years of age would be what this word refers to. So here's a, a young boy, and he's sitting in the window. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I've seen that many times. <laughs> Eutychus has fallen asleep. And uh, it's midnight and it's hot. And it says, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. So Eutychus falls asleep. He falls out the window three stories down. And the Bible says he died. Um, I did a little uh, research after reading this. Three stories is probably about 30 feet. Um, when I researched about uh, uh, falls, and uh, if you've raised boys, and we've had plenty of boys in our family, I'll tell you, boys love to climb stuff, don't they? I can't tell you how many times, like, with our kids and then our grandkids, you know, they see a tree and they're going, oh, don't go any higher. And uh, we've had some, some falls, thankfully, uh, from trees high up. Thankfully, nobody got seriously hurt. 
But the research that I discovered, the general rule of thumb is 50% of all falls that are from three times your height, 50% of all falls that are from three times your height are fatal. So if you're six feet tall and you fall from like 18 or 20 feet, 50% chance of surviving that fall. Now, probably a lot of it depends on the surface below. You know, if it's soft, if it's grass, much better chance. If you're falling on concrete or hard surface, you may not survive that. And so Eutychus falls from, from 30 feet. And it says he was picked up dead. Amazing part of the story here, as Dr. Luke records, um, and now we're on to uh, Paul's or Eutychus's miraculous recovery. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and then he said, Don't be alarmed, he's alive. Now, some say, Well, he didn't really die. Um, he died. The text says he fell and he was dead. And Paul, through the power of God and miraculous power, brings Eutychus back to life. Uh, Peter did this earlier in uh, the, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, verse, uh, verses 36 through 43, to a, a lady by the name of Tabitha. And Peter um, brings her back from the dead. And so Paul resurrects, brings this young boy back to life. And what amazes me in this story is the rest of the story. Verse 11, then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. They had something to eat. And then after talking until daylight, he left. They continue on with their meeting after getting something to eat. And Paul talks till daylight. And then the meeting's dismissed. And uh, verse 12, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. I, I guess so. And so um, that's uh, the story that Dr. Luke records with Paul in uh, the city of, of Troas. And it's a remarkable story uh, of um, a resurrection of uh, a young man by the name of Eutychus. Well, the rest of this chapter and the, 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 the meat of this chapter is verses 13 through 36. And it's Paul's moving farewell. Paul's moving farewell. So Paul is an old man now. Uh, Paul's moving toward the end of his life. And we're going to see in the next week or two, Paul gets to Jerusalem, but um, he gets arrested in Jerusalem. And uh, most of the rest of his life, he's not a free man. He's he's a, a prisoner of Rome. And uh, so Paul is uh, is having a, a farewell here with the um, leaders of the church at Ephesus. And I'm just going to pick it up in verse 16 just for sake of time. Uh, Dr. Luke's recording uh, some of the ge- geography here. Verse 16 Paul decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem as possible by the day of Pentecost. So Paul's on a time schedule here. He wants to get to Jerusalem before the celebration of Pentecost. And of course, uh, Pentecost is 50 days after um, uh, Passover, and Paul wants to be there to to, uh, celebrate the Feast of of Pentecost, so he's, he's, he's on a timetable here, 
And so he's in Miletus, and it says, from Miletus, you can see where that is on your map, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he wants to have one final meeting with the church leaders at the church at Ephesus, where Paul spent three years there and got to know these people and led them to Christ and planted this church. And so those church leaders travel about 65 miles south, and they meet Paul in Miletus. And now uh, Paul describes his ministry with them. So this is Paul's message to the church leaders uh, in verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Notice the description of Paul's ministry here and the, the character traits of his ministry because it needs to characterize our lives. I serve the Lord with great humility. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And so... Uh, Paul went through everywhere he went. We said last week either a revival or a riot broke out. And Paul had plenty of opposition. And he's reviewing his ministry. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. So in Ephesus for two years, he spoke daily, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, in the lecture house of Tyrannus. And so he gave lectures every day publicly. And then apparently he was in people's homes and he was sharing uh, house to house God's truth. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he sharing? He's sharing the gospel. There it is right there in verse 21. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? That's true of all of us as well, isn't it? We may have plans for tomorrow, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Whoever Paul went, Paul... Paul went through uh, challenging times, prison. He was, he was beaten and left for dead in Lystra. Um, but notice Paul's statement. However, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the f- task. The Lord Jesus Christ has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So here's... Here's what's driving Paul. Uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, Paul says, I, I really don't value my life. What I value is finishing the course and the race that God laid out for me. And so uh, here's the, the apostle Paul. And he says, uh, I consider my wor- life worth nothing to me. Uh, Galatians 2.20, he wrote, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Uh, Paul lived the ultimate purpose-driven life, and uh, Paul valued the God's call in his life uh, as the most important thing. Now, as we get to verse 25, 
Paul begins to give some specific instructions now to the, the leadership of the church at Ephesus. And let's just walk through this text and then we'll, um, we'll look at some life lessons here. But the, this is a very emotional time for Paul. Uh, he loved these people dearly and they loved him. And you're going to pick that up as we, we read. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul's saying, this is it. It's the last time we're going to see each other. And so there is a lot of emotion here in, in Paul's speech. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul says, I don't have any regrets. When I was there for those three years, I, I preached God's word and I preached the gospel and I preached the whole counsel of God. And now he gives instructions to these uh, Ephesian leaders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So it's interesting. Uh, Paul starts out and says, uh, take care of yourself. Keep watch over yourself. Now, um, we live in a culture that puts a lot of emphasis on self-care. And self-care is good. But self-care can be taken to an extreme where life is all about you. <laughs> and that's not what Paul's saying here. But Paul is saying, you better take care of yourself. Take heed to yourself. He told the same thing to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 4.16. Uh, take heed to yourself and your doctrine. And so uh, we, we need to take care of ourselves, don't we? That's true for you. That's true for me. Um, we, we need to observe the, the, the pattern that God laid out in the book of Genesis. Uh, work, 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 rest. And, 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 and take some time for yourself. And so here's the first thing he says, uh, keep watch over yourselves, but here's the main focus, and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made over you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God. So he's talking to the leaders. What do shepherds do? Shepherds lead. Shepherds feed. Shepherds guard and protect the flock. Uh, physical shepherds and spiritual shepherds do the same thing. Church leaders are called to, to lead the church. Church elders are called to, to feed the church, to feed the flock. And you're talking about God's word, and they're supposed to guard and protect the body of Christ. Why? Well, verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He's not talking literally here. He's, he's talking about spiritually here. There's going to be some false teachers that are going to come in. And we know that uh, the Judaizers came in and began to say, no, you need to, you need to keep the, uh, the law and you need to be circumcised. And you need to do all these things, uh, works before you can be saved. And, and they came in and tried to confuse people. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So there's threats from the outside. There could be a threat from the inside as someone comes in and tries to lead people astray. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, what do you say to people that you'll never see again, that you love? And this, here's Paul's concluding words here. They're great words. 
Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, so Paul's committing these believers that he spent three years with and that he loves, that he's committing them to God and to God's grace. In our ministry journey, um, we've said goodbye to two church families. One in Strongsville, Ohio, and one not very far from here. And I have to tell you that uh, for me, those, those were very, very highly emotional times. And I had to chuckle, and I've said this a few times to Diane, that... Uh, you know, at those farewells, people expressed uh, thanksgiving and appreciation and said some very nice things uh, to to us. And I told Diane, he said, well, if they would have told us while I was there, I might have stayed. You know, why, why did they wait? <laughs> Just kidding. And this is emotional. And, and Paul's committing them to God and to God's grace. Paul says, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul was bivocational. At some points in times, he took offerings from people. Other times, he worked with his hands. He was a tent maker, and he kind of pulled his own weight financially. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words in the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So there's the, there's the farewell. Uh, lots of tears. Lots of hugging. Praying. Um, and uh, and saying a very emotional farewell. Well, Paul leaves there, and he uh, then makes his way um, to uh, Jerusalem, and we will uh, pick that up next Sunday. Uh, but this morning, the last um, 15 minutes here, um, I just want to share four life lessons uh, from Acts chapter 20. So, what can we what can we learn and glean from this text for our lives? And uh, there's four lessons that I want us to um, learn this morning. Here's the first one. Uh, ministry is designed to be a team effort. Uh, ministry is designed to be a team effort. Have you noticed all through the book of Acts that Paul's not doing this alone? That in all three of his missionary journeys, missionary trip number one, it was Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. Missionary journey number two, it was Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Missionary journey number three, uh, Luke was with them. He partners with Priscilla and Aquila, and they become uh, partners and co-laborers. And then now as we read in the text here, he has seven other men that are accompanying him, along with Dr. Luke, um, on the way back to Jerusalem. Paul's not doing this alone, and we need to learn a lesson from that, that ministry is not a solo effort, but it's designed to be a team effort. The acrostic, um, I'm sure you've heard together, each accomplishes more. That's true of our ministry here. 
there's no one person that can can do the ministry. It's designed to be a, a team. Paul writes about the body of Christ. There's one body, but there's many parts. Each one is 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 valuable. Each one is important. And so we need to learn that lesson. Ministry is a team effort. I'm so thankful for a prayer team. I'm so thankful for a financial team. I'm so thankful for partners in, in the ministry here every week that partner together to, to continue to minister here. Uh, Paul writes about it in Philippians 1.27 to the church at Philippi. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The word striving together, soon athleo. It's a picture of an athletic team uh, working together with one goal in mind. And perhaps no greater uh, illustration of that in the last couple months has been our Change Your World campaign where uh, many of you participated and um, uh, it's going to make a huge impact for the cause of Christ and the gospel and we will uh, share that results as I mentioned with you next uh, next week. Well, ministry is designed to be a team effort. Number two, Regular fellowship is essential for our spiritual growth. That regular fellowship is essential to our spiritual growth. So here we are in Acts 20, verse 7. It's Sunday. What's happening? Paul's meeting with the believers there in Troas. They are, they are gathered together as the body of Christ because what? Fellowship and worship, corporate worship is important. God designed the Christian life to be lived in context of community with other people. And so uh, years ago, Dr. Gene Getz wrote a book, uh, studied the New Testament, and he says there's at least 12 one another phrases in, in Scripture. And these are commands that if we're part of the body of Christ, this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing uh, and functioning as the body of Christ, here they are. He says, we're members of one another. We're to be devoted to one another. We're to honor one another, to be of the same mind, one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, bear with one another, encourage one another, love one another. Uh, it goes on and on. Can you read your Bible and pray and study and grow individually as a Christian? Yes. But can you carry on all these other uh, responsibilities that God says we're supposed to engage with one another? Uh, regular fellowship with the body of Christ is essential to our spiritual growth. And so Hebrews 10, uh, that familiar passage, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward what love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't stop meeting together because it's essential to grow and it's essential for the body of Christ. Here's number three, life lesson number three. And this is a quote, a direct quote from uh, someone most of you are probably familiar with, Corey Ten Boom. Here's what Corey Ten Boom said. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So here's Paul in Acts chapter 20, and he says, I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. But what's he say? Not knowing what will happen to me there. <laughs> uh, Paul might be a little bit anxious 
to get back to Jerusalem. He says, I don't know what's waiting for me there. I just know the Spirit says wherever I go, there's a hardship. And so um, these are great words not only for, for Paul's day, but for us. Uh, because none of us know the future, do we? None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us know what's going to be on the end of the news of that phone call we might get this week or in the future. And so um, James writes some good instructive words for us in James chapter 4. He doesn't, he doesn't forbid planning. It's, it's okay to plan. We all need to plan. But James uh, writes these words in verses 13 through 15. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So this guy's got a business plan for the next year. And, and that's fine. We all need to plan. But then Paul says, or James writes rather, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We think we know, but we don't know. And then he says, what is your life? You are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so James talks about how quickly life goes, how quickly life passes. And if you're here this morning and you're over 50, you will say amen to that. Where did the time go? And so what does James tell us to do? Instead, we ought to say if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And is James saying every time we say something, we need to say, Lord willing? No, he's not saying that. He's saying it's a mindset that we need to have. Hold your plans loosely. Because we have a plan, but we don't ultimately know what God's plan is. And so don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God knows you see, we like to see the whole picture, don't we? I, I, I kind of want to know what's going to happen in the next week and month and six months. And God says, trust me, one day at a time, live life in 24-7 increments and trust me. I got off my, uh, I put all sorts of pictures and notes and cards that kids sometimes pass on to me uh, on my office door. And uh, I pulled one off this morning. hope I don't embarrass anyone this morning, but uh, this was one that uh, Arya Van Krimpen made for me about a month ago or five weeks ago. Nice little drawing. It says, thank you so much for being our pastor. And then it says, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. I'm like, that's good advice, isn't it? In fact, as I thought about it, that's biblical advice. <laughs> don't worry. Embrace the joy of the Lord. How can we do that? Well, we, we, can, we can do this. There's some steps that we can do. It's not just just trust God. That's, that's a big part of it. God knows the future. Here's what we can do. We can, we can pray, can't we? And submit our, our, submit our plans. But then what, what, how did Jesus pray? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We can claim the promises of God. That can help us with the future. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's promised to meet our every need. 
to guide, he promises to guide and direct us. We can hang on to those prom, uh, promises. We can realize that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that ultimately, read the book of Revelation, God wins. Um, God has given us people, the body of Christ, to, to help us walk through life. I uh, was Dr. Adrian Rogers, um, Southern Baptist preacher, said everybody needs three homes, a family home, a church home, and a heavenly home. I like that. And so uh, don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. All right, last one this morning, last life lesson is this, and this is crucial here. For Christians, our farewell is not final. For Christians, our farewell is not final. So here is Paul. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter uh, 20. And he says, I'm never going to see you again. And at the end of the farewell time, uh, the, the Ephesian leaders, it says, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Can I add a little something to that that's not in the text, but it would certainly apply? They would not see him again on this side of heaven. So this is the last time they'll see each other physically, but for the Christian, this is our hope, and this gives us comfort and encouragement, because when we have to say a final farewell, whether that's to people that uh, we're moving to the other side of the country and we're saying goodbye to good Christian friends and we may never see them again, or whether it's the graveside of a loved one who knows Jesus, our farewell is not final. Our goodbyes are temporary. And I will forever have etched in my mind the words of my dad at my mom's funeral 44 years ago, October 1979, and they're closing the casket. And my dad confidently said, we will see her again someday. There is hope for the Christian. A farewell for you and I is not final. And for um, our family, it's been 44 years. And uh, only Lord knows when that reunion will take place. But I want you to understand, for the believer, our farewell is not final. Why? Because of the words of Paul to the Thessalonian believers. They lost loved ones, and, and they're grieving. And he thought, we thought Jesus was coming back. Our, our, our loved one died. And so Paul writes out the order of what's going to happen. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. People who don't know Jesus have no hope of, of seeing their loved one again someday. For where's our hope? Verse 14, this is what the resurrection day is all about in about five weeks. For since we believe that Jesus died and 
rose again. Where's the hope? It's the hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Because I live, you will live also. 1 Corinthians 15 is that resurrection chapter. And it gives us hope. And I love the word hope. The acrostic hope. What is that hope? It's the hope of heaven. That's how Jesus comforted his disciples when he was, he was leaving in John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I'm going back to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and take you home to be with myself. And we'll be there forever. And so it's the hope of heaven. It's the hope of overcoming death. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to resurrect those those bodies. There'll be no problem for him the creator of the universe who spoke this world into existence, and we're going to have a new body just like Jesus' new body. It's the hope of promised reunion, of of seeing those loved ones again someday, and it's the hope of everlasting life. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And um, heaven is going to be far beyond what we can even imagine. Well, that was uh, Acts chapter 20. Uh, it's a little warning about sleeping in church, but mostly Paul's farewell. And uh, I'm so thankful that uh, we have a, a ministry team here that carries on ministry. I'm so thankful for your presence this morning because we need to meet together regularly. I'm so thankful that we can trust the unknown future to a known, loving God who's already got the rest of our story already written. And for you and I, our farewells are not final. Thank God for that. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for the hope that that gives us. Lord, I I pray that uh, you will help us to realize this morning that there there is coming a, a, a farewell time. Lord, all of us are, are going to um, point it unto man once to die. Uh, Lord, help us to redeem the time. Help us to make wise use of the time that you've, you've given us here. Help us to invest in relationships and loving one another and encouraging one another, praying for one another. And Lord, I pray for uh, some hearts here that uh, are grieving the loss of, of loved ones. Lord, I pray that uh, you would encourage their hearts today with the fact that that farewell is not final and that we have the hope of resurrection and the hope of reunion someday. Lord, may that um, bless and encourage our hearts, we pray, and we'll give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.